a parallel account in the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, uh, if you look at chapter 12, I'm going to look at a sections uh, that, uh, that overlaps for reinforcement, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 and following, and in reverence for God's wonderful, wonderful word, I'd like to ask you to stand as I read this uh, text from the ESV. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body, that, uh, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less of a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But look at verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honor, honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his wonderful word. Now please look at our text in Romans chapter 12, and you'll see that it is a parallel and uh, even expands what Paul says in chapter 12 of Romans. I, I'm in this little series called The Gospel Changes Everything, and it, uh, it, uh, it, it, is, it is the ultimate game changer uh, of all things. Uh, our, uh, and let's see how it unfolds. Well, let me begin by saying, you know, of course, that God is the great gift giver. He is the great giver. What do you have that you've not received? Anybody have any, any idea? What do you have that you've not received? Like everything. Everything. Your next heartbeat. There it is. Now you're all thinking about it. Yeah, oh yeah, it's still going there. Your next breath. Everything. Every piece of food. Do you know how to do agriculture? Do you know how to make that sandwich there? Do you know how to raise that beef? Say, so you're a vegan. Do you know how to raise those vegetables? You know, air we breathe, the warmth, the temperature. We stand on a globe, the blue planet, that's suspended by nothing. That ought to make you feel real secure. It's just blasting through outer space. The atmosphere is just right. 14.6 or 7 pounds per square inch at sea level. 
You know, you can go to some point, you'd be crushed. You go very deep in the water, and the pressure is like unbelievable. You can't go, I'm going to go two miles down. I'm just going to see what's down there. You can't do it. In fact, submarines can hardly go. They can't go down to the bottom, I'm told, of the Indian, Indian Sea. It's too deep. The pressure is too great. I don't know. Maybe you have some devices that are made to go down there. Some of you guys will know more than others, and, and so on. Hey, I didn't say anything. Alexis is here. Did Alexis, did Mark say anything last week? Alexis, Alexis' husband uh, is a, a Navy man. That's what made me think of that. And they just moved to Mechanicsburg, and, and the connection, Lexi's dad uh, was a dear a member of Grace Fellowship in Doha, Cutter. And so her dad, dad sent her here, for good or otherwise. But we're so glad he did. And see what a small, small world. You don't have to go to Disney to hear that. It's a small, small world. It is, and we're so glad that you're here and your boys, and we're praying for your hubby with his back. But uh, he's a Navy man, and, and so on. This God has made a wonderful earth. He has given us life. He has cared for all our needs. He has given us physically everything we need. And for those of you know who know Jesus as your Savior, he has saved you to the uttermost. You don't add anything to it. Don't even try. We've said that. You go to the Louvre and you see the Mona Lisa, don't try and touch it up. Don't add to it. It's a finished work. You get near it, you're going to be in deep trouble. And that same thing happens with people with the gospel. I'm just going to try and be good, and it's Jesus and I, and you just ruined it. That's a good way to remember that. Share that with your friends. Well, the gospel changes everything, part four. You know, our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made, and they display his glory, don't they? I know we're, a lot of times we're real critical of our bodies. Oh, you know, like, I, I sort of wanted to be like 6'4". You know, like, can I be, Lord, can I, I asked my dad, he's like 5'8". Can I be 6'4"? He said, mm, I don't think it's going to happen. You know, we could stretch you on the bed at night, but probably not going to happen. You know, that's when you're in the world of sports and all that kind of thing. And then, and like, can I have a little more muscle here? And how can I have a little fat there and all that? And we're always pretty tough on it. But forget all that stuff. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's wonderful psalm of David, Psalm 139. I love to muse on that because I find such great encouragement and comfort from, from God that he made me and he made you and he made us distinctively unique. And it's good for us to think about it. Your body is a unit. Uh, it's a one organism, right? It's a single complex biochemical electric uh, uh, organism. And yet it has many parts, and they better function together. And if they don't, and some people know it, they're sick today. They're like, whoa, the immune system. And isn't that great, the, the different facets of the body? What are some of the things you like to think of? Any, anything come to mind when you think about the body and how wonderfully we're made? Anything come to mind? If not, i got a whole list of things. I love to just muse about it. Anybody, you can help me. Anything stand out, Mike? Yeah, isn't that neat? When you get cut, hopefully it's not cut off. But you get cut, and Mike's a, Mike's a builder, so like, you ever whack yourself with a hammer or zipped it with that? You know, like, oh, no, it's going to hurt for about a week. Oh, no, but it comes back. If, they could, if GM could do that, they would sell cars like, oh, you racked your car up. Now oh, wait a few weeks. It'll heal. You know, think about that. What a patent that would be. Think about that. that Mark, there's a patent idea. <laughs> wow. That, what, what else? The healing properties of the body. They're wonderful. It's God designed that. Yes, the eye. The eye is the great evolutionary enigma. You don't have an eye that all the pieces are there. If they're not there exactly within a very tight tolerance, if they're not working, you're blind. 
you're stumbling around. And some of you have lenses and stuff there. I have those. And I've been checking out some more there, trying to get some, <laughs> so I can see better, right? The eye is, and you see everything upside down, and the brain flips it over. Actually, you're all upside down, but my brain knows how to do that. I don't know how it, I didn't train it to do that. It's amazing. It's wonderful. The eyes are the window of the soul. What else? What other things stand? Yeah, Paul? Yeah, we got stereo, stereophonic, and the ears. And notice they're funneled forward. What an evolutionary chance happening that is. That means, and you got two of those in one mouth. My father used to have a lot to say about that. That's instructive as well. But uh, they're, they're marvelous. They funnel it in. You got the sheath over it, the eardrum, and inside it, in the middle ear, you got three little bones that vibrate. You know, and that turns into uh, an electrical impulse. You got a whole system of, I was reading once, like pistons that are inside. Click, 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 click. Sometimes you can hear that click. I've heard those lately. Is that, does that come as we get older? I've been hearing like, what, what's that? Do I need to call an electrician? You know? I went down to the audiologist. Faith said, you need to go in. You, you're not hearing very well. Did I tell you this? I went in there and he said, what, Dr. Dr. Wan? Oh, I like him. He's a happy guy. Why are you here? I said, my wife says I can't hear very well. Oh, he started laughing. He said, but most of the men come in here because of that. The wives make the appointment. They get over there and you see him. And they said, then down the hall. So he said, I'm going to have to do a check here. So he comes back and then he meets you after the consult. And he goes like, well, yeah, that's right. You're about one-third deaf. I said, really? I said, he said, what's amazing is it's right in that female range. Right, your wife's range there is like you're like deaf to that. And I go like, I told her I never heard her say it. He says I can write your medical thing on it. <laughs> the hearing is so great, you know, isn't that wonderful? Uh, what else stands out, honey? What do you? Teeth to chew our food. Yeah, teeth and Mark, you could. That's right. The teeth are so amazing. Where would we be? Right, we'd be eating soup if we couldn't chew it up. And then teeth are like amazing thing. You could go on and on and yeah. That's an evolutionary marvel. That really is. Uh, is that, that that hurts sometimes, right? Is that what that is? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the teeth are incredible. Aren't they great? They're beautiful too, aren't they? They're beautiful. I mean, when we take care of them. Uh, who else had Bev? How what? Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to tell you, you know, you have over 1 billion cells. B. Billion cells in your body. That's a big number. Some of you had trouble with math. You go like, how many zeros is that? One billion, over. And every single cell, and there are a lot of, they're very different and diverse. They all carry the same genetic code. Every single cell in your body, in a baby's body, helps develop. In the womb, it directs it to, oh, you're going to be a liver cell. You're going to be a bone cell. You're going to be a fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, it's just... Uh, the DNA, the deoxyribonucleic acid, the way it zippers down the middle, the double helix, joins together in, in the genes when, in, the, uh, in the conception, and uh, you're a unique person. You know, you're the only kind. 
Your fingerprints, nobody else has. Isn't that something? Your retina scan, you alone have that. Your DNA, that's all yours. Only God could do that. Is that amazing? It's so amazing. What else? A couple more? Respiratory the what? Respiratory yeah. And even when you check out at night, it doesn't stop. Have you ever noticed that? So I'm going to go to sleep. I'm afraid to sleep. I may not remember to breathe. And God, it's all, is that, blows my mind. We ought to think about these things. There's an anthropological argument for the wonder of God. As you look at man and his composition, men and women, how we're made and all that, we go like, holy cow, this is incredible. You, you think your Mac is great. Some of you have the iPhone. It is the best thing since sliced bread. Sliced bread. You like that, Julie? There's your department. Yeah. Not really. You are. You are. Wow, it's amazing how God made us. Our senses, you know, the five senses, if you didn't have them, we'd bump into each other and wouldn't even know it. Think about it, you wouldn't feel anything. Sensory of touch. I just bumped into Galen, I didn't even, I didn't even feel it. Now that might be good. If you're an NFL middle linebacker, that's not a bad thing. I just ran into Franco Harris and didn't even feel it. You know, like something like that. But your eyes, your ears, your sense of smell, that one I think sometimes we could pass on, you know? But here's the thing. They tell you, if you can't smell very well, you can't taste. Is that true? That's not true? That is true. All right. All right. Calm down now. Calm down. <laughs> this is getting a rowdy crowd here today. Okay. We'll work that one out later. We'll have our own test. Strawberries and chocolate. All right. Well, just think about our bodies. I mean, they're, they are incredible. Your fingerprints, your DNA, the billions of cells, the system. We didn't even get into the systems of the body. They're, they're, they're just marvelous. I remember when Jonathan was little. Incidentally, I've asked him. He's going to preach the end of the month. The last Sunday in March, he's going to be home. He's going to preach. I remember him saying uh, he was like rough and tumble and backyard and and I said to him one day, be careful, man, because you only, got, you only have one body. He said, well, you know, I can always get replacement parts. <laughs> and I said, nothing works like the genuine, son. He said, nothing. I know for sure now on that with the hip, right? Fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, many parts work together for the whole of one. And I tell you, only the Lord could make such an amazing thing. And let me give you one other thought. We're just a shadow of what Adam and Eve were. They are. I mean, Adam lived to be 960 years old, right? That's real time, real, that's not like funny numbers, base five or some goofy idea. No, that's really that. If he came back and patted me on the head, right? He's probably 6'4", like I said, right? 6'4". They go like, hey, how old are you? About 800? You know, I go like, no, I'm not. No, I'm in my 50s. What? What happened to you? <laughs> we're such genetic shadows. I mean, we are the end of the genetic drag pool, carrying all these inherited diseases and all that forward, and the decline, second law of thermodynamics, the disorder uh, of the genetic pool. That's us. That's welcome to the 20, 20, <laughs> 21st century 
That's us, this order. Just let your lawn go. See, I'm just, I'm back to nature. I'm just going to let the front yard go and see what happens there. Your neighbors will probably not be very happy. Just say, you're, I'm just into this. I'm doing an experiment. See if I don't do anything, given enough time and probability whether it'll even get better. Uh, it won't. It's downhill quick, and they'll put a little citation on your front door if you let it go very long because it will be a mess. Your front lawn in that description is the genetic pool is us versus Adam and Eve and all their beauty and wonder and all that. And now it's so bad you don't ever dare marry a near relative. You know, the kissing cousins. Got to be at least a second cousin kind of thing. Don't get any closer because for the, uh, the children that you'll have will probably have greater propensity for even greater genetic disorders. Well, that's enough said on that. The gospel finds us in our sinful rebellion. I mean, God finds us. You, you know that now, right? You didn't find God. God found you. God brought you under the hearing of the gospel one way or the other. And God opened your heart, convinced you of your sin, righteousness, and judgment, and wonderfully regenerated you. He found you. Uh, and uh, and he, he has saved you. He captured you with his love. That's the ultimate game changer. Now, that's the book of Romans. Uh, Romans, uh, how many times do I, I, I say? You, you could probably all quote me on this. Romans chapter 1 to 8 is the longest gospel track in the entire Bible. Paul writes that to the church at Rome because he had never been there. He wanted to make sure they got the real deal. And then he deals in chapters 9, 10, and 11 with the question, did somehow God's program fail with the Jew? What's this church thing and it's not Israel thing? How's that fit in with this gospel of righteousness of Jesus Christ? He explains that. That uh, this mystery called the church now is both Jew and Gentile. There's coming a day when God will once again deal with the nation of Israel. But, uh, but now it's this mystery, the ecclesia, the church. And the gospel changes men and women. He begins in chapter 12 saying, showing us very practically why the gospel is the ultimate game changer. He calls us to offer ourselves to Jesus now. I beseech ye, therefore, by the mercies of God, the King James, or in, in ESV, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that's the gospel, that God's been kind to you and saving you. What do we do now, Paul? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual service, reasonable worship. Stop being conformed to this world, but be transformed, metamorphosed, metamorphize, change by the renewal of your mind, testing, so that you may discern what the will of God is. And, and so we, we begin as in this ultimate game changer, offering ourselves to God. Lord, use me. I'm yours. And then verse 3, we saw last time, thinking rightly about ourselves, not more highly than we ought to. And so now, and now he moves down into the local church now. The gospel changes uh, how we relate to each other. We are now exist to serve him. The gospel brings us into sweet relationship with other believers, which Paul describes as one body with many parts. Well, it's a that little theme. What, what should be the theme of grace? I heard this, I love it, and why reinvent the wheel? What is the theme? What are we doing here? Love God and, uh, and love each other. And love the world. I don't mean the world system and evil. I mean people in the world. Love them. I mean, if they die outside of Christ, hell's a long time 
and show the love and kindness to them for a little bit of their life. Be Christ to them. Love God, love each other. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of, don't you? Who wants to be a part of a divisive, fighting church? You know, politicizing, powering. Not me. I don't want that. Life is too short. I want to be a part of a church that that God has melted our hearts together, given us a great purpose, each for the other, all for the Lord. That's what I want. And so he, he really presents in these few verses, verses 4 to 8, uh, two results of the gospel causing us to be useful in serving the Lord. Maybe your father said to you one day, you're, you're absolutely useless. You're hopeless. Well, in Christ, that's not true of any of us. You can be useful in the things of God. He, he does in verses 4 and 5, the first result is the gospel places us as believers into one body. In the second, verses uh, 6 through 8, the gospel provides us with gifts and abilities to be used for the Lord within the body. And what a wonderful thing this is in verses 4 and 5. So look at chapter 12, uh, verses 4 and 5, as he's now going to talk, how do we relate as a result of the gospel to one another? Verse 4, for as in one body we have many members, and uh, the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. We are one body. And so what's that mean? Well, first, in, uh, A, there's a unity in the body. It's a spiritual unity. Now, Paul is using this metaphor of the body when speaking of the church. He's speaking primarily, and, and first of all, of the universal church. I have the reference to Ephesians 4. It's the universal. It's all believers in Christ from the day of Pentecost until the Lord comes. That's the church. And most of the church is in heaven now. You think about the ones through all the centuries of time where some call this the church militant. doesn't mean that we're radicals, although we should be radicals or revolutionaries in the spiritual sense, but we're the church that's alive on earth now. And we're just a small slice of what is known as the one body, the universal church uh, of Jesus Christ. Now we have Grace Church, you're part of this. In fact, we're a local manifestation of it. So when people look at us, and it's not a building, you know that, a building can help a church do its mission, uh, it's not essential. I mean, if they outlawed it, we'd meet out in the fields, in the woods, or in homes, and we'd have secret codes and uh, do what we'd have to to pass along. And the church is the people, it's the body. You know, it's like here's a church, and I look inside, see all the people. It's the people. It's the people, the children, the granddads, the mothers, the, the children, and all the ages between. It's the church. I'm a churchman. I love the church. It is the body of Christ. And that's who we are. That's who you are. If you name the name of Jesus, you're part of that church. You're part of the universal church. And you're part of grace. You're part of the local picture of that universal church. There's, uh, there's one body. That's, uh, that's uh, the body of Christ. Uh, we do err. We do err when we focus upon our differences with other Bible-believing churches. You know, we, we ought to celebrate our common doctrinal foundation before talking of things that divide us. We're often too divisive, uh, we're too prideful, beware of pride, and so on. And we have to be careful about that. I, I, in my own upbringing, I was brought up in a church I later came to recognize, a good church, love the Lord, I found Christ there, Christ found me, rather, uh, but was very suspect of anyone else around. 
Oh, they're the Presbyterians. You know, oh, they're the Methodists. Oh, they're the Catholics. Oh, they're... And you didn't want to be a JW or a Mormon because, holy cow. And, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm not saying that they're Bible-believing and all that. That's a different issue completely. But there are churches that, that love the Lord and love the Word and don't have the same title as you do. And I, I grew up very like, whoa, you know, like... And, uh, and even if you were a Baptist, you know, there were like oodles of kinds of Baptists. That's what I discovered later on. Wait a minute, Jimmy Carter's a Baptist? How can I? He's a... Well, I read his book, and I go, whoa, that's holy cow, he's quoting Tillich. And some of these liberal neo-orthodox, that's not me. And then some of these others, and then some were great, and then some were, were in other and labels. And, and as I grew in time in the grace of God, I realized, wait a minute now, wait a minute, uh, is this pride? Sometimes we can be prideful in a sense of institutionalism, you know? The, the, the label becomes more important than the church, you know, like... <laughs> We're Episcopalians. Oh yeah, we're Christians. You know, or we're <laughs> it shouldn't be that way. It should. Be. We're part of the church. We ought to emphasize that, uh, and uh, and be careful of that. And and I'm talking about Bible believing church. And I'm not talking about ecumenism. Please, anyone who simply names the name of Jesus or, or whatever that means that we all hold hands and it's a schism is evil. It should never divide. Uh uh-uh, uh, that's not true. I'm not an ecumenist. Uh, and, and stand against that because they believe the scriptures. And if you openly walk contrary to the fundamentals of the word of God, well, then how can light have fellowship with darkness? You know, and so on. And so, uh, so you have to be careful about such things. But let's emphasize the things that unite us, the foundational doctrines of evangelicalism, the doctrines of salvation, the doctrines of grace and the sovereignty of God and, and all that, and, be, and beware of, uh, of pride that's always within us. Dr. Barnhouse uh, pastored 10th Presbyterian Church before Jim Boyce. He said, let's talk about what we agree, uh, what we are agreed in, then what we disagree it's not that the, uh, the latter are unimportant, but they are secondary, you know? They, they are secondary. So let's be careful about that. When we, we meet others out in the street and we work with them or in our family, uh, there, there are some in our family that, that have a different view on the work of the Spirit of God today. Uh, we, we used to, in those days, have some strong disagreements on that. And uh, we hardly talk about that anymore. I've, I, I've grown past that. Uh, re- really, they're, they're not going to change, I don't think, in their position, and I love them, and they love us, and we love the Lord Jesus, and that we just see on these secondary, if I can say that, things uh, to have a difference of opinion. So we agree to disagree agreeably, and I think that's a way that honors the Lord. And anyway, it's Romans 14, we rise or stand before the Lord. I mean, he's the Lord, we're not. I'm not going to judge what they're saying. But they love the Lord, they love the gospel, and God has his people in all pockets. He does, so be careful about that. You know, so don't have the attitude, uh, well, I go to grace, so I got it right, and you don't, and so you must be wrong. You know, like, I'll find you, and I'll have a talk with you, so don't do that. All right, so be careful about that. Um, uh, yet this is not a call to acumen. Okay, so we have unity, but B, there's great diversity within the body. There are many parts. There are many parts. There used to be an ad, wasn't it? Wasn't it one of the fast food with the chicken? Parts are parts. I never wanted to eat their 
unity of parts or parts because I wasn't sure what parts of the chicken were parts. I don't know. So I love hot dogs, and being from Buffalo, hot dogs are wonderful. You know, they really make good hot charbroiled hot dogs. I, I've even gone to the hot dog place before I came to my mother's driving up there, just like, whoa. You know, you think about something for a couple hundred miles, and it's like, I'll, I'll, be, by, I'll be there in a minute, Mom. Go down to Ted's Hot Dogs, you know. Like, but my son-in-law, uh, the physician, said, you know, like, do you know what's in a hot dog? I go, he said, I never eat the thing. I said, don't even tell me. I don't even want to know. He said, you don't want to know their lips and everything else, parts or parts or parts? I said, don't even tell me. I lather it with mustard, onion, <laughs> fresh roll, if it's charf. Man, anyone having that today? I'll come by. <laughs> it's also, talk myself into it. Parts are parts. No, that's the body. That's our body. We're talking about our bodies here. It's the local church. God's called us into, and not to, and just like our physical bodies, not all parts are the same. Each part has its own function to perform within the body. For the health of the body, all must do their part. This means that here at Grace, some of you are feet. Anybody know if you're a foot? You don't want to be a big toe. Someone said foot, feet stink. They do have an odor. But uh, isn't it interesting? It's quoted in Scripture a couple of times. It comes from Nahum. Oh, how beautiful are the feet. That, and then Paul picks it up in Romans 10 that, are, that, uh, that carry the gospel. You know, we go like, oh, feet stink. How beautiful are the feet. I, we often don't think physically that feet are beautiful. Really, they're anatomically beautiful. There are more bones in your foot. They're like, it's like a suspension system there, I'm told. Some of you have fallen arches and they're sort of given away. Gravity's winning there, I'd say, or something like that. But uh, it's, it's marvelous. Some of your feet, some of your hands... Some of your hands, some of your eyes, and mouths, some of your mouths, and you shouldn't be mouths. My mother's old expression, oh, she's mouthy. You ever hear that expression? Mouthy. Take a noun and make it sort of mouthy. Well, some of your mouths, you, you speak, and, uh, and, and the foot can't see. Have you ever noticed that? It cannot see. And the eye cannot bear any weight. You know, like, I'm going to step on my eye. I know David, uh, the, Jonathan one day said to Greg, tell us the ten grossest things you ever saw at John Hopkins' emergency room. Oh, that was exciting. <laughs> Faith had to leave the room. But one of them, the eyeball was out hanging on his, and it was like, I, hear just the, I go like, oh, wow. And the boys are like, oh, this is great. <laughs> like, but that, you can't step on an eyeball. You know, boop. Well, the juice comes out or something. You can't, but your feet you can. You notice that? Difference in function. I'm trying to make the point here. You, I think you got it. We'll move on. That's the point here. He can't bear any weight. God, in, in verse 18 of that Corinthian passage 12, uh, I, I tell you, God has arranged the parts of the body. He's sovereign. He's Lord. And you are who you are, and you have the gift and the you have you, you play the part in this one body, which is part of the greater body, the universal church, that God has ordained. He didn't say, Well, I didn't know they were going to be like that. No, God ordained it. He orchestrated it. He's the Lord of it. And so we ought to recognize that and find and, and be content with that, really. We as Christians are an interrelated spiritual unity. Not only do we belong to Jesus, but we belong to each other. 
Weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what Christians ought to do. So often that we do that in the same day. You know, like, you, you don't know what God's doing in your life. Uh, you know that he's doing it, and we trust him. We walk by faith, not by sight, but we go like, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. And, and then you bring that into a family setting. You bring that into a church family setting. And at the same time, in the same day, some are rejoicing. Praise God, look what God did, you know, this and that. And others are going like, you, you, you got tears in your eyes, and there's sorrow and loss and heartache, and, 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 and we weep with those that weep. It's a body. You know, we, we, we gather around, we hold together, and, and we share joy, and we share sorrow, and we carry each other, and we clap for each other, and rejoice. Why? It's a one body. It's Grace Church. It's, a, it's the body of Christ here. And it, it seems to happen all in the same time. As a pastor, I can remember one day I had two funerals in one day. That was a lot. But then, later that night, a baby was born in the Harrisburg Hospital. Amazing. Amazing. And then that Sunday, we had a baptism service and, and the joy of seeing those trust Christ be baptized. And, and, all, and, and most of it's in between, isn't it? But it's that mixture. And you don't know what's coming the next moment, right? And that's and, and the body, we, we support each other. and It's beautiful, really. The air of institutionalism today robs that. And the air of individualism robs that. Americans, we have to be very careful about that. You're not the solo rider. You belong to each other, and, and uh, they belong to you. I was encouraging my brother out on the West Coast. Uh, he's moved a bit over there. I said, are you in a good church yet? And he said, no, not yet. I said, don't waste time. Get into a good You need them, and they need you. God has relationships and friendships and blessings that you're not affording yourself. And they need you. They need you. And really, that I'm trying to describe what he's saying here, that the gospel places us as believers in one body. And I'm so thankful for the body of Christ. I'm thankful for you, so many of you. And you encourage us when you pray for Faith and I and it's encouraging for Faithy and I to pray for you. We were here yesterday, late afternoon, kneeling right down here in front on our knees, praying for, for, for many of you and praying for the service today. And, and she happened to join me because Ed was busy, Dave was sick, and Faithy in the back. We're on our knees praying in a little office here. Lord, meet with us. Teach us the word. Save the lost. Edify our people. Grow this testimony. You know, we're praying for you by name and, and, and love you and count it a joy to do that. And to pray for it. And I count on your prayers that way. Remember Spurgeon? When they asked him, why is your preaching so effective? He said, the only reason is, is my people pray for me. You see, he needed them. And I need you. I couldn't go one day without your prayers. And I promise to pray for you. Well, the second result, and we'll be done here. He, the second result of the gospel is that the gospel provides us with gifts. And abilities to be used for the Lord within the body. It's the charisma. Charisma, charisma, or charismatic, we think of it. The emphasis of the gifts, the spiritual gifts in, in some assemblies today. It's the same word, these grace gifts. God gives gifts. I remind you again, what do you have that you've not received? God's given you everything. And then God has a way of weaving a local body 
which, uh, with gifts and abilities and talents to be able to do the Great Commission, make disciples, make an impact on a community for Jesus' sake. And God has a way of doing that. And Paul is going to, 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 to give a list here. This is not a complete list. In fact, if you look, there are five sections of the New Testament. We read one in 1 Corinthians 12 that give a listing. They're not all the same. Some overlap. And that's to tell me that it's just a sampling of some of the gifts that, that the Spirit of God gives to the local assembly, to you and to me in a body so that we can do the work of the Lord. And that tells me here that if you are a believer in Christ, you have at least one gift, and maybe more. It's not just one gift to one believer. And you are to use it in the body. The body needs it and, uh, uh, for health of the local church. And the way Paul writes it here in verses 6, 7, and 8 in our text, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, use them. Now, in the Greek, it's almost like Nike's multi-million dollar slogan. Remember that a few years ago? They must have made billions off that. Just do it. Remember that? Some of you remember that. Have it your way. That's McDonald's made a pile of money off of that. Nike, just do it. That's the expression uh, that you might say, he says, look, he's given these gifts, he's given you a gift to be used, exercised in the body, just use it now. Don't let it remain dormant. Don't be a no-show. And here he gives seven of them. The gift of prophecy, the gift of service, the gift of teaching, gift of exhortation, gift of giving, gift of leadership, and finally the, the gift of mercy. These are the seven gifts that he, that he lists here. The gift of prophecy is just is, is speaking for God. It's, uh, most often we think of it as, uh, as primarily the pastor's gift as he speaks forth. Prophecy is not so much predictive, though we think of it that way. It's forth speaking. God has spoken in his word and we just tell. It's to tell others. There was a pastor in our church growing up. He was on staff, and finally he came to a point where he left that, the, the church to go to Florida because he began a parachurch ministry called it TELL, T-E-L-L, TELL Ministries, and was simply to train uh, men and women in the church how to simply tell others, tell others what they know about Jesus. To tell. That's the idea of, of the gift of prayer, to, to speak forth. And all of us have something to tell. If you've been saved, if you know Jesus, you have something to tell. A mother tells her children. Uh, you know, she raises that. That impacted me deeply growing up. My mother, my father didn't know Jesus, but uh, my, uh, my mother did and was burdened, and she would often talk with reverence about the Scriptures. She told me what she could. And then others. And, and we are to do that uh, uh, not only formally from the pulpit, or in the classroom, but to speak forth for, uh, for Jesus. And, and, and of course, it's restricted. It's the faith that means the word of God. We just don't go uh, hog wild on this. There was the test of a prophet, and he was to be killed if he said something contrary to the word of God in Deuteronomy. And that was the test of a prophet. Take him out and stone him if it was to disagree with what was already revealed. And the second thing was you had 100% average. It better always come about or you take him out. You know I haven't spoken by him. So it's the word of God that 
is the controlling agent. The gift of service, just quickly, it's a general word for helps of all kinds. It's the word we get deacon from. Uh, it's a servant or a minister. This is, uh, uh, the, this is uh, the gift that, uh, that uh, we all can practice. We can all serve. Jesus came not to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And this is the gift of serving, serving. And uh, there are some of you that just have a heart, you just want to help. There are those that have need, and you want to help. Or there are ministry, and you want to sign up. You want to, you know, a, a plea goes forth, and you're down there to say, I, I'm here to do that, even though you're doing so many other things. Helps of all kinds, serving, ministering. We're to help the weak. It's a very practical gift of helping. Maybe it's a gift of time and the gift of using your abilities and the gift of just coming alongside and helping doing some lifting at that point. We are called in Acts 20, 35 to, to help the weak, to serve. I mean, if Jesus was the servant of the Lord, how much more should we as children be? Very practical help. Let me help. Helper of all kinds. Praise God. We ought to be an army of that. And some of you have a special gift in this, and you look to display that and want to, in every way, help. Well, how can I help? And you're looking around and snooping around. How can I? They need help. We need that in the body. How wonderful that is. And then the gift of teaching. The gift of teachers able to present God's truth understandably. Some man, one man wrote, perhaps one out of every three believers have some measure of it. It's different from the gift of simply prophecy, for here it's a systematic and regular instruction in the Word, and it refers to any teacher, a pastor teacher, seminary professor, Sunday school teacher, small group leader teaching, youth teacher. Look, a teaching is hard work. You're going to be an effective teacher, you know, there's a lot that goes in, the preparation, you got to shut the door and meet with God and study the Word, you got to you got to fill the cup, and then you got to pray that somebody shows up, you know, like, Lord, where are my students? And, uh, and then, Lord, help me to communicate this as clearly as possible. Uh, teaching is hard work. In Sunday school, we need to pray for our teachers in the back and, and our youth workers and small group workers, and, and God has given us many, many teachers here. And we teach our children. We teach those that we're to share with them what we know about Jesus, formally and informally teaching. Then there's the gift of exhortation. This is the gift of encouragement. The word is very broad. It uh, means calling someone to one side. What what, what it means? You're going to advise. It's like the picture of a coach, really. He calls him over. He's got him on his side. He's going to encourage him, exhort him, instruct him, advise him, warn him. All those things are involved in that. You think of that as a parent. We, we, you do that. A good parent does that almost intuitively. Come here. I want to talk to you. You do that again, you're in deep trouble. <laughs> like, I saw what you're doing. Try a little harder. Man, I think you can do it. You know, that's encouraging. You're encouraging, 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 warning, uh, coming alongside. That's what the church needs. We ought to do that. You find of a need, there ought to be notes going, phone calls, words of encouragement. You know, go out of your, step out of yourself. And some of you particularly have this gift of being an encourager. Be, like Barnabas is known in Scripture as the son of encouragement. 
Barnabas, how, why is that? Remember John Mark? He bombed out on the mission trip. I'm going home. <laughs> and Paul and he had a big fight over it. The Apostle Paul, yeah, it was a knockdown drag out. They, couldn't, they could not find common ground. John Mark went home, and uh, next we see Barnabas. He's looking around for him. He's going to find him. He's hiding at home with mommy. He finds him, picks him up, and the years pass. So this encourager, he said, no, I see something in him. I see something. And years later, years later, we find him in other missionary journeys. We see Paul at the end, and send Mark to me. He's profitable. How much of that was the result of an encourager? Did you ever have anyone believe in you? I mean, I, I've had at different points in my life, I thought like, I can't do this. Impossible. And God sent along someone and said, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. It's impossible because God wants to teach you. He's the God of the impossible. And I can think of certain faces come to mind right now when I'm thinking. They encouraged me. They really did. They encouraged me a great deal. Uh, Dr. Tim Keller, I was, uh, my son Jonathan really loves his writings and all that, was my department chair at Westminster. And, and my first go at presentation of my dissertation at Westminster with the faculty uh, was a rough and tumble thing, and I had a lot more work to do. And I was leaving uh, Machen Hall, you know, this old Tudor building there in Philadelphia, walking out, and he comes running out and catches me. I was going to call Faith. She was in prayer, wondering how that three-hour defense went. And uh, he catches me, and he, he, he looks me in the eye and gives me one of these, I know you can do this. I know you. And he gives me one of these deals. It goes on and on and on. And because I was, I was dragging my chops out. And, uh, and that I, I drove home and made a schedule next three months, hardly slept, worked around the clock, Finally got it done, and when I sent everything in, it was all, he said, don't change a single word. I'll never, I'll never forget him saying that. Wow. I said, Lord, praise be to you. Thank you for an encourager. How much do we need that in life? Coaches, dads and mom, granddads, uh, to each other. Encourager, to be a Barnabas. That's uh, the paracoleto. That's that, that call alongside the coach. And at times it's comfort. Wow. Uh, the gift of giving. You know, in a church, they say about 10% have the, the spiritual gift of giving. All of us should give. Give with charity. Give with hilarious is the Greek word. Uh, giving with too many. Uh, uh, give with uh, sour pusses. Oh, all right, I guess. We should be like Macedonians who gave out of their poverty. And uh, those with a gift of giving look for ways. It's a burden. I've got to give. I've got to help. God has given me this resource. And we praise God for that. If you don't have that gift, you go like, wow, I didn't know there were people like that. Yeah, there's about 10% in any church that God has given that gift of giving. They want to do whatever they can to use their resources to advance the gospel uh, in the gift of giving. Praise God for that. Just do it, he says. Just do it. Find your gift and do it. Leadership is the next one. That's the idea of standing before others. Effective, diligent, zealous leadership in, in areas of ministry, with its, whether it's with the children, it's an administrative, or it's behind the scene, or it's in, in mundane things, or it's in larger things, or upfront things. Lead, work at it to be the best that you can uh, with, with diligence and zeal and preparation and clarity. Lead. Oh, we need that. 
And finally, the gift of mercy, the acts of kindness to all who need it. This tends to be a, a person who has like radar. I know this because this is my son, David. Um, he can walk into a room, he has this gift, and he can almost be there in a short time and sense they're hurting and they're hurting and hurt. I go like, and he'll ask me, he, hey, Dad, did you? And I said, no, he's, they're hurt. And he, it's radar, and they got it through their mama, their, sort of by God's providence. But uh, is that right there? He, he has that. I don't, and I appreciate that. And, and so I tap into that, the people that are aware. Hey, did you, did you know they were? No, I didn't see that. No, and and they, the, if you have that gift, you have that sense. It's like a sixth sense, and you, you know that somebody is in need, and you want to step forth close in kindness and, and to meet that need. And just just do it. Well, how do you find your gift, you might ask. Take note of what do you desire. You know, you, what, what desires do you have within the body, within the local church? And ask others what they see in you. And try things, try things. You say, like, I have a real desire to do this. And, and if you give it the gung-ho in you, it's like, I really stink at it. Then you probably know that's not your gift. You're like, that really was bad. And I really worked at it, and I did it a long time. Well, I think maybe you ought to try this over here, curtain B, you know, something like that. But once you find it, then give yourself, set yourself to the lifelong task of staying busy using that gift in the body for the glory of Jesus. Oh, do that. Well, lessons for life, we're, we're almost done here. Number one, uh, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, let me encourage you to celebrate because you're part of something bigger than yourself. Isn't that neat? You're part of something bigger than yourself. We as a church, are, we're a church plant. Great. We're pretty small, kind of tiny. Especially when folks get sick and we go, where are they? Whoa. But you know what? Celebrate. We're part of something huge. The, the church of Jesus Christ. Wow. Not Latter-day Saints, present-day saints. Celebrate. You're, you're part of something big. You're part of the body of Christ. Celebrate that. Praise the Lord. Number two, remember you need Grace Church, and Grace Church needs you. We belong not only to the Lord, but we belong to each other. You belong to me. That's why we call each other, we should, brother and sister and Jesus, and know what that means. That's a family relationship. And you have gifts and abilities that I could only dream of. And you probably don't dream of mine. But it's, it's true. We need each other. We need each other. Sometimes we get older and we go like, nobody needs me anymore. That's not true at all. That's not true. God has given you a gifts and ability. Use them. We need you. Number three, possession of the gospel provides you with at least one gift. Get busy with it. Get busy with it. Get busy within our church using your abilities. God gives you joy and success with it, you know that that's probably your gift. Set yourself to the lifelong, I just said that, lifelong task of keeping busy with that gift. The idea of being worker busy bees for Jesus. I like that idea. You ever see a beehive? I was painting this house one time. That's another story. But there were bees flying all over me. I had to go up there with the bees. Uh, bee wor worker, uh, it was right into the wood, way up 30 feet. Dr. Phillips' house. Boy, they were busy. Those honeybees in and out all the time. I kept slapping them with great paint. Busy bee, busy, 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 busy. That's what we ought to be, busy bees here 
Serving Jesus. Number four, whether you have the gift of encouragement or not, number four, whether you have that or not, strive to be an encourager to others. Now let me just tell you, how about just one other person each day? Sometimes I get lost with, there's so many needs, I get buried and I go like, ah, oh, I can't make any difference. Like spitting in the ocean to try and, you know, what's the sense of that, right? But I can one other person, you know? Just one other, Lord, give me one other person in our church family or as I go my way that I might be an encouragement, that they might see Jesus in me. I can get my arms around that, can't you? Now, that's very practical. We ought to, t- well, well, to do that, we have to take our eyes off ourselves. We're constantly looking at ourselves. Say, Lord, forgive me of that. Look around and see who needs some encouragement and give it. Let's not be stingy with that. Lord, help make me a Barnabas to one person today. And then do the same thing tomorrow, then the next. And number five and last, I remind you, the gospel door is still open. It's still open. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and God will save you today. I promise you that. And you'll receive the greatest gift ever given. So a final question that I want to ask uh, each and every one of us, the question, so where will you serve the Lord at grace? Where will you do that? Where? I trust that God will land that in your heart. If you need someone to talk about, call me, send me an email. I'd love to chat with you about that. Where Where do you fit in? What can we do? as we staff our committees and ministries and in all the needs, great and small, we need you, we want you, every one of you. Oh, please consider that. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful book. Thank you for the Word of God, Lord, the gospel that changes everything. Thank you, Lord, so much for Jesus. It's all about him. It's not about us. We love you so for raising up Grace Church, for each one here, precious, unique, They have their own fingerprints, their own DNA, their own story, their own giftedness. And you brought us together for such a time as this. May we serve you, and may we pray with Moses. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We are dismissed. Rob, did you, uh, that's the song we're going to close with.